Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I'm your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and your other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. Nice rhythm play. I like that, Amy. On today's show, we're official. Woohoo! The Bloodstream podcast is going to be at HFA Symposium We're next month. We're going somewhere. We are- We're going somewhere. <laughs> We're getting on a plane. We're going to have luggage tags, <laughs> hotel rooms, key cards that don't work. You got to go back cards. down to the desk. It's a long line Mary at the desk. Yachts. Mary. I'm going to regret not having my, uh, what is it, TSA pre-check, but that's a whole oh other God. thing. We, we've got our own official schedule, our mm. own official responsibilities. It, this is as a fish as it gets, which means that we get to tell you about it and we will, but not yet. This is just the introduction. <laughs> Later in the show, Amy speaks with Kristen Eilenberg of EE Minds about programs, this is cool, uniquely designed to serve patients and families that have children with medical conditions. Terribly relevant. That's coming up in a little bit. So good. And Josh Bragg from the Let's Talk Mental Health segment joins us live in studio with an announcement about the future of that segment. All that and more coming up on today's episode. Welcome to Bloodstream. Welcome to Bloodstream. It's a biggie. What an intro. Hey, and maybe you should subscribe. That would be a great idea. Wouldn't that be great? If you subscribe to this show, then you would automatically get it in your podcast player. Instantaneously. And then you could hear about all that cool stuff like HFA and EE Minds. Right away, the moment it becomes available. It's like the coolest thing ever. And you can find us on social media. And if you want us to talk about something you haven't heard us talk about yet, Amy, what's that email address that you love so much? It's mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. Mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com indeed. Full disclosure, it's right in front of me. If it wasn't right in front of me, I would have screwed that up. The level of focus that you had while reading that was something I wasn't planning to speak to, but since you opened the door, here I come. Literally, I knew you were going to ask it, and so I was like, find it on the page. Get ready. Listeners, I also want to remind you that the Bloodstream Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda. That's right, Takeda. Takeda's got this website, may have heard of it, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment too, the bleeding disorders community. Amy, Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. As I do as well. And they are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. Did you know that? I did. Well, yes, I did. You've been doing this for a while. We've had this copy before. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. That's all you got to do. And I'll give it to you one more time. You probably don't need it, but just for good measure, bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream podcast, the kind of support, I might add, that enables us to work with HFA on bringing valuable program to Symposium and valuable content from Symposium to you all here on Bloodstream. For all of that, I would just like to say thanks, Thanks, Takeda. All right. Uh, so we've got a couple things to touch on before we bring Josh in and talk to him about, <laughs> we were just joking about what we may talk to him about, but we're going to talk to him about the Let's Talk Mental Health segment we've primarily. We've got some medical questions we're going to ask Josh. This is, however, the first episode that we're doing here in March. And as we established last episode, March, in addition to being the final month of Q1, is also Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. Happy Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month to you, my friend. Happy Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. A highlight of that thus far has been Washington Days, our National Day of Advocacy. Um, anything that have you seen anything about oh that? Oh my gosh, it's my favorite day on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> wow, because it's coming you from a Swifty, literal, 
Oh, I'm that's sorry. Fair. Yeah, that was a bad idea, Patrick. Just let it go. Actually, that's fair. It's my second favorite day on the internet. Okay, I appreciate the but accuracy. That's, but 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 a very close second. Okay, good, good. Close oh my second. gosh, everybody crushed. You know, it's um, it was remote this year mm-hmm. as it has been the last couple of years, but it's worked so well. So everybody has posted photos of them in their Zoom rooms. So you see all these cute little faces, which you know you wouldn't get to see a lot, and then you get to see the little staffer or the you know congressman or woman. It's so cool. I also noted a lot of uh, enhancements to people's Zoom setups from like the last couple of Zoom Washington days. Everybody was dressed up on their Zooms wearing Mm -hmm. pajama pants probably. I loved it. Decent amount of ring lights seemed to be in action. We had people with a nice vanishing point behind them. I was like, y'all got some training this year. (laughs) Yes. It's great. It's like my favorite day. And in in all honesty, Every time I've gone to Washington Days or mm. been a part of it, it's always such a reminder that we are so lucky to live in this country mm. that we have the ability to do this. And the people that we elect, whether we agree with their politics or not, do not come to office, the office that they serve, knowing everything. They just can't. They're humans. Right. And it's up to us to tell our stories, to let them know how things that they're doing, decisions that they're making would affect somebody like us with a bleeding disorder. And I love it. I get goosebumps. Democracy is great. So bravo, every every advocate that participated. It's wonderful too when when uh, Senator Whitehall is, I think, who comes to mind. Is he the White one House. like in Maine or yes. yeah? Like he's always present at those at those meetings. It's great when the senator or congressperson is available, but when the staffers who are generally young yes. are available. It always dawns on me, too. This is a 20-something-year-old who's interested in policy and politics who maybe before this meeting knew next to nothing about bleeding disorders. And now we get to teach them about something that not only will, you know, influence this office, but hopefully influence them in their careers. And anytime health policy comes across their desk, now they'll have a frame of reference from this part of the rare disease community. So— such an important day. And also, hopefully next year, knock wood, knock whatever you can, we're going to be in person. But the fact that we have had now, what, three— Three years? What year is it? Um, yeah, time's a flat like circle. Two years of yeah. virtual Washington days. Um, and that, it still works. It works. It, and it gives access to people who yes. may not otherwise be able to attend. So For just sure. kudos to the community on Washington days. An awesome part of Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. Uh, next month, not Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month, but the month of HFA Symposium. Let's talk about what we're doing there. But first, I do want to acknowledge that this episode today is made possible in part by Genentech. And Genentech is proud to release the fifth edition of their community newsletter, The Edge. This edition touches on many relevant topics, such as a patient's personal reflection on his experience with hemophilia and how it's shaped him as a person, the importance of supporting the bleeding disorders community around the world and providing them with access to treatment, and how local and nationwide hemophilia advocacy is helping to make voices heard. Visit genentechhemophilia.com to read the latest edition of The Edge and to take a closer look at how Genentech is supporting the hemophilia community. One more time, that is genentechhemophilia.com. Okay, HFA, April 20th through the 22nd, taking place in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Get your hat ready. Get, get your big, hat ready. Your We're hat going ready. to the Alamo. We're going to the Alamo. So Bloodstream is hosting a live panel and podcast recording on the journey to healthier joints. Wait a minute, you guys. Stop. Stopped. We are recording a live episode for you at HFA. Correct. Patrick and myself are going to be up there <laughs> doing the shtick. You're going to hear live this. Live in studio. Literally, we're doing this with a panel 
with people who are going to talk about healthier joints. And I'm not sure so <laughs> that the panelists are 100% confirmed, so I, I don't want to okay. say any of the names, okay. but some of the names are people we've had on the show before, cool. people that we like talking to. Okay. Um, and so it should be a lot of fun. So when those are like confirmed, okay. we'll mention them, but not for now. <laughs> if you're going to be there, Thursday, April 21st, 2.45 Central, hfasymposium.org is where you can go to find the agenda, don't to register it. if you haven't, hfasymposium.org. And on April 22nd, on what would be the uh, the standard second episode of the month for Bloodstream, we're going to be releasing a live from HFA episode that will include audio from that panel as well as audio from interviews we're doing with a couple of the keynote speakers, presenters, and attendees. So it'll be a, an HFA heavy episode, April 22nd, while the meeting is still going, yes. Bloodstream will be pushing out an episode full of content from the meeting itself. So keep an eye on all of that. Again, as we said earlier, we are on social media, all the places. So if you want to follow along, Bloodstream's accounts, mine are Amy's. And if you are going to be there in person, this isn't Bloodstream specific, but relative to our total presence, as it were, Bombardier Blood is getting a screening to wrap things up Saturday morning. So again, if you're attending in person Saturday morning, 9 or 9.30, check the agenda. There's a Bombardier Blood screening. I'll be hosting the Q&A alongside, of course, Chris Bombardier. So do check that out. And one more time, hfasymposium.org is where you can go for the agenda, list of uh, programs, speakers, and of course, to register. Is there anything else about the symposium that we should mention before we move on? No, just this is going to be freaking awesome. <laughs> it's going to be freaking awesome. I it's can't gonna wait. It's going to be freaking awesome. Um, we've got a nice team that'll be going there and it's, we get, as we said earlier, we get to go somewhere. We get to be a team on the road doing what we do again. So. Actually, Bleeding Disorder Community, uh, pull up your pants. Our podcast producer, <laughs> Keith, who we haven't had on the show yet, but he's like one of our favorite people. This is his first Bleeding Disorder event. Yeah. We're going to have to like throw him into the deep, deep end. end baby. <laughs> The Deep End with Keith, a new segment on the Bloodstream Podcast. We're going to have to get his thoughts. Oh, God. Uh, let's just try to retain his employment. I don't want to throw him too far into the deep end and like completely sink us here, Amy. I know. Things are going well. Everyone on your best behavior. Everybody. Uh, and thank you to Genentech one more time for making this episode possible in part. Anyway, and make sure to visit GenentechHemophilia.com to take a closer look at this, the fifth edition of The Edge. The fifth edition of the edge. Last thing that I want to bring up before we bring Josh in and talk about Let's Talk. Amy, there's been a few articles this morning as I was like, let me look at some of the news that's come out recently. Sure, sure. See if there's anything I want to bring up in particular. Mm -hmm. There's one headline that caught my eye and the headline is joint damage seen in hemophilia A patients with milder, with milder disease and few bleeds. Uh, this is from something called the Dynamo Study that took a look at 51 male hemophilia A patients, median age of 43, randomly recruited, a big observational study. And they were looking at bleeds in hemophilia A and B patients with non-severe disease. So 37% um, yeah. were moderate, 63% were mild. And sort of the bottom line is that they were they continued to see a decent amount of bleeds in patients. Bleeds were more common and moderate as you would expect. But even in the mild patients, uh, while only 3% experienced elbow bleeds, 41% experienced knee bleeds, weight-bearing mm. joint, unlike the elbow, mm -hmm. and 47 ankle bleeds, even more weight-bearing, lower on the body. Makes sense. The results, quote from the article here, the results of the study show a substantial proportion of patients with non-severe hemophilia exhibit joint changes on MRI despite low joint bleed rates, um, with the ankles being the most affected. And the reason I bring this up is because when we talk about 
um, some of the novel therapies and what it means to not necessarily be cured of hemophilia, but be living as though you were mild, right? Sure, That's sure. been discussed with gene therapy potentially. It's kind of as though you were mild. Luke Pembroke talks about that when he talks about his own experience on a gene therapy trial. Um, we've talked about that with the con in the context of hem libra. It's kind of as though you have mild hemophilia. What this article and its data just are underscoring, and I've heard this from different clinicians and anecdotally, I've heard stories from patients. Of course, I have my own lived experience as well. Living with mild hemophilia is living with a bleeding disorder called hemophilia to a mild degree, but it doesn't mean there, there are not serious things to consider. And knowing that even one joint bleed can lead to lifelong damage. The um, it's 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 not good enough to have mild hemophilia and kind of leave it there. There still needs to be a gen a greater treatment plan, a comprehensive care team assessing what the patient's needs are, because little bleeds, little damage over time lead to great consequence. And if you're someone like me who already has a significant amount of damage, right. operating quote unquote as though a mild hemophilia patient that still may not be enough protection to protect me against some of the more compromised areas of my joint. I've heard clinicians and other patients speak to this. So the reason I just wanted to bring this up is if you are out there and you have mild hemophilia or your treatment plan has changed and you are now operating as though you had mild hemophilia, this is just a little reminder that mild hemophilia is still hemophilia, that joint damage is still bad, and this study is showing it is still occurring in people with mild hemophilia. So make sure not to dismiss what it means to have mild hemophilia. It is still a bleeding disorder. It does still need attention. Here, here. <laughs> Thank you very much, Amy Board. Anything you want to add before we bring in Josh? No! Ooh, you did, though. You added a nice little vocal, whatever that was. All right, well, thanks for <laughs> indulging me on that joint damage thing. Uh, let's bring Josh in and talk some Let's Talk. So we did it once. We ran into a technical snafu. He's no longer in studio, but he's just down the hall, and he still sounds great. He's Joshua Bragg. He leads the Let's Talk mental health segment and a whole lot more. Josh, welcome back to Bloodstream. How you doing? Well, hey, I'm doing great still. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yeah. Not too much has changed since eight minutes ago when you were sitting over here? No, no. I'm, not, I'm now comfortably uh, surrounded by horror memorabilia, so I'm at home. <laughs> You're in your element. Well, let's dive in. I won't force the banter we had earlier. And I just want to ask you this first question. You've been doing the Let's Talk Mental Health segment now for, Amy, what's it been? Like a, a year, right? Because the last one comes out in two weeks. So it's been a year. Why did you take on this segment to begin with? Um, well, it, I, I'm a natural introvert, but I love people. And I th like a few years ago, my mom got me a, um, it was one of those master classes for Annie Leibovitz for portrait photography. And I've always wanted to do portrait photography and I've kind of dabbled with it over the years, but it's been more of like a spontaneous thing and I wanted to take it more seriously. So I did that master class. And I started booking people, and especially strangers that I didn't know, um, to do these portrait sessions. And what I found through all of them was that it was kind of like a shared therapy session. There was always a point where the guards were let down. We were relaxing and just taking photos and experimenting and being creative together. And then the emotions would come and, and we'd be sharing about what's going on in our lives. And it would inevitably get to whatever kind of intense experience that person is feeling or I'm feeling. And um, it was just like great to talk about it. And as I look back at my life, I've always been that person. I was that person in high school and college that everybody called the second something went wrong. Um, I guess I'm a responsible person. I don't know, but I'm not <laughs> like, 
I'm more interested in the conversation rather than being uh, like a trained professional because I don't I don't want to just listen. I want to be like, let's find the connections between you and me, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that's really when this popped up as an idea, why I jumped at it because I was like, oh, this is more of that thing that I've been discovering that I love to do. What did you learn about yourself working on this segment? That I need therapy, Amy. Yes! Um, or, <laughs> or that I could benefit could from therapy. You know, I did, uh, you know, for people who have been listening this whole time, uh, was it been 11 months? Um, they, yeah. they know that I started having never taken therapy and now I've been through several sessions and worked through the stuff that I signed up for um, and am keeping an eye out for the next time that I really truly need it. Yeah, it was cool to follow that story within the segment and I appreciate your willingness to be so open through it. I think that really helped. I mean, I know you well and I know you know generally what you're doing with the segments, but each time I was learning and struck by your vulnerability and openness and it helped me access like ways I could relate to you and the and the content of the segment. So I think it really, from a listener perspective, I think it really helped people, your willingness to be so open. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And what's great is we didn't plan it. It wasn't like, what if we do a social experiment where Josh goes through therapy? It just was a natural um, thing that happened as a result of doing this together. So what is something, Josh, that you've learned about mental health and wellness in general from working on the segment? Um, I, I think the main takeaway for me that has helped me in every aspect of my life since learning it is that it's not about fixing anything. It's about acknowledging and feeling things and then moving past them and finding a way to live with them. And I think when I went into therapy and even when I started this segment, it was like so much focus on, I I wish I didn't feel this way. I wish I could stop feeling this way. And now it's, oh boy, I'm feeling this way. All right. Well, what can we control about it? What can't we control about it? And how do I get back to, you know, doing the 10 million things I need to do for my job every day? That's really well said. So Josh, what can the audience expect from season two, which is going to debut next month? A whole lot. Like, so much. Uh, and I'll try and keep this short because we're still kind of discovering it, but uh, we're doubling down. We're going to do one segment per episode and we're adding a voice of Jessica Richmond from the Flow podcast and one of our producers here, I believe. Uh, and we're going to be exploring what it means to be alive. The journey from, we're going to reverse engineer it. We're going to go from death to life. Um, and my segment will feel mostly the same, but you might hear Jessica's voice pop in from time to time to challenge some of my ideas and thoughts or perspectives or kind of rein me in when I get a little too out of control. Uh, And then Jessica's segment is not going to be called Let's Talk. It's going to be called The Well. And I'll let her explain that in her opening segment, why it's named that. Um, But it's very intentional and it's very cool. But it will be kind of a deeper look into the Let's Talk segment. So building off of my personal journey and our personal journey together um, from Let's Talk, the themes will go deeper in The Well Uh, to look at it from a community perspective or a national or cultural or global perspective. Wow. They're doing pretty good in those writing meetings, Amy. I (laughs) know. We better up our game, my God. We had one of them so far. (laughs) But Jessica and I are big thinkers, and so uh, hopefully we're not biting off more than we can chew, but you can follow along, you know, all year long. Well, that's 
really exciting. Um, and I do want to take a moment to say thank you to Sanofi for supporting the Let's Talk segment. This isn't a Let's Talk segment, so I don't have the Let's Talk segment copy in front of me, but we're talking about this segment. It's a partnership with Sanofi. It's an extension from the Let's Talk film that we started working with them on a few years ago. So just shouts out to Sanofi for prioritizing this element of our health and continuing to support content and programming that's intended to help the overall mental health and wellness of our community. Josh, we talked about next month being the beginning of season two, but we still have one segment left in season one. It comes out on the March 25th episode. Anything you can tell us about the final segment of season one of Let's Talk? Well, I'll say what I say about this time per month Every month, uh, have I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> and the inspiration Fair. hasn't hit yet. Um, but maybe we do a recap. Maybe not like a year-end review, but maybe one last look through the mental health Let's Talk documentary um, before we hear some new voices in the coming year. And Josh, just before we say goodbye, anything else you want to tell listeners about? Anything else going on that you want to draw a little attention to? Um, I'm feeling pretty happy today. I don't know. That's it. I'm That's in a, I'm in a, like a very present place right now. I was thinking, Josh and I have been talking about office decor around here. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, Josh, I might want a little thing for my office window that faces outward and just says, I hope something good happens to you today. Oh, I was thinking I like about that, that yesterday. I was like, I want to talk to Josh about that. Oh my gosh. Last night, um, I don't know why. Well, yeah, that kind of just triggered this in a specific way. You don't need to know. Um, I'll just talk about it. We went out to sushi last night before going to see the Batman, Courtney and I, and we had this server who was 19 years old and really, really nice, really, really young. Uh -huh. And um, we got to talking towards the end and she said, um, I, I forget how we got on it, but Courtney was like, hey, are you like are you okay in this position? Because I noticed you served us alcohol and that's like uh, illegal. Um, and she's like, she rolled her eyes and she was like, I know, I just, uh, I, I've been here for like six months. It's my first job. I'm making like $500 a month. I just don't know what to do. And Courtney was like, well, I'm a server. I've been a server my whole life. And her eyes shot out of her head. And the first thing that came out of her mouth was, how's your mental health? And mm. uh, I just thought that was such a, a beautiful thing to like a, a little window into this next generation that's coming up and how they're living their lives where someone at 19 years old can be concerned about mental health and know about mental health and be concerned about a stranger and their mental health. And um, yeah, I just thought that was a really beautiful moment. And so we took a moment to talk to her and encourage her about like how to take further steps and make more money in the restaurant industry while she's figuring out the, the next steps for her life. And it was a really cool little connection. Wow. Thanks for sharing. That's a good example of how those kind of connections, moments, and opportunities to improve your and someone else's day can just kind of happen incidentally so long as you're present for them and care. Uh, Josh, thank you. Always a pleasure. Amy Board, um, as we move into our interview with Kristen Eilenberg, what can you tell us about what we're about to hear? You bet. We're going to hear from Kristen Eilenberg from EE Minds. EE Minds is energizing and empowering minds. And for those of you in the bleeding disorder community that have a long history in the bleeding disorder community, you might remember the program as PEP, Parents Empowering Parents. It was actually started by a social worker, Dana Merritt, at the University of Michigan, the Michigan uh, Foundation there. And she um, created a program for parents with children who have bleeding disorders. And they have expanded into a new company. 
EE Minds. And these programs are designed to support you and your children adjusting to your new normal, becoming more accepting of your own emotions and feelings, dealing with stress, building your and your child's self-esteem, and of course, applying communication tools that help in parenting and other relationships. It's the most phenomenal program, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear where they're at and what they're doing because they are really taking off. So let's hear from Kristen. She's uh, she's terrific. And she's also the daughter of Dana Merritt, who started this program, which is How kind of cool. a cool thing. Yeah. Kristen, hello. Welcome to the podcast. We've had your mom on the Ask the Expert podcast, and now you get to join us. Thank you so much. And uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Is this your first podcast experience? No, no, but thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be able to have this conversation with you today. So Kristen, tell us, tell us a little bit about Energizing and Empowering Minds and how you became involved. So my mom invited me uh, to attend a program at Yale about three, three and a half years ago. Um, And this was like a shame on me moment, um, quite honestly, because my mom, you know, well, you know my mom, so she's fantastic and Um, you know, she's been bringing these parenting programs to the bleeding disorder community for, you know, 20 plus years and she's traveled the world and people like when I meet her, they're always like, oh my gosh, your mom is so wonderful and (laughs) the programs are great. And like, you know, she's got like fan clubs and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm the typical kid, right? Like, I'm like, my mom, like, really? Come on. Like, serious? And I went to (laughs) Yale and Amy, it blew my mind. I mean, like blew my mind. Um, I, I watched those families arrive on Friday night and leave on Sunday, totally transformed. And I, and I was just like, oh my gosh. And I looked to my mom and I'm like, we've got to get this to more families. Like Mm. we've got to get this to more families. And it's not just the bleeding disorders families that need this kind of stuff. And my mom, in all sincerity, just goes, I I agree with you a thousand percent, but I don't know how to do that. Mm. (laughs) And I literally was like, roll up the sleeves, (laughs) like game on, like, let's (laughs) figure this out, right? We're going to get it done. Um, And so that's when I started to get involved in trying to figure out how the program could be made relevant for families that are beyond the bleeding disorder community. Tell us a little bit about the programming in itself, what you provide, how does it work um, for some of our listeners that might not be familiar? Yeah, so the thing that's fantastic about our programs are, I mean, it's just, it's not just like a program like little Johnny misbehaves and I need to figure out how to manage him. The program really is built for parents of kids with special needs, disabilities, and medical conditions because their world gets turned upside down when Mm -hmm. they get the diagnosis, right? Right. Um, All of the things that they were managing towards, the expectations, everything just implodes around them. Right. And so mom and many of the social workers and nurses within the bleeding disorder community came together time and time and time again to build a program that addresses those kinds of things that those parents are going through because if they're not being aware of how they're responding to the diagnosis, their emotions, 
then they're not aware of how they're communicating with others to their to their child with the diagnosis to their significant other to the treatment teams right, right. Um, they're not realizing how it's affecting the way that they're parenting and whether or not they're setting up appropriate boundaries for that child so my mom tells me stories about being in the clinic and i think you're probably familiar with this you probably saw this yourself cuz you were in denver right yes yep she told me that Yeah, we were big believers in your mom in this program at Denver. We did it at least once a year. Yeah, well, and they still do, by the way. They're Mm -hmm. still awesome champions of this. Um, But a call out to uh, Emily Wheat on that one. She's she's the bomb, man. We love our Emily Wheat. She's been on the podcast as well. We love Emily Wheat. Oh my gosh, she's the bomb. (laughs) Okay, so anyway... um, she said, you know, the, the thing that happens is the parents and the kids show up for their appointments and the kid is running circles and climbing yeah. the walls yeah. and the parents just sitting there just doing nothing. Right. Because, or little Johnny stop. Right. And little Johnny is like telling his parents what to do. And there was a dysfunction, right? Like the parent has, was carrying so much guilt for the fact that you know, the, their genetics caused little Johnny to have the bleeding disorder that they're just, they're trying to make up for it by being, you know, like letting Johnny have everything. And that's not the way to parent. You need to set boundaries for the kids so that they understand what's right and wrong. So you understand what's appropriate behavior versus inappropriate behavior. And, and then taking all of that forward to, okay, are you empowering your child? to be ultimately as independent as they possibly can be when it's time for them to grow up and be adults. And so mom saw this over and over and over again, that these families just because of the emotion and because of the way they're responding to the diagnosis, they're not parenting to help their kids become independent adults. Mm -hmm. And so that's what this program or our programs, because we've got multiple ones now, really help parents get to is that like how can you parent in a way in lieu of all of these other things that are going on in lieu of the fact that your kid does have a medical condition in lieu of the fact that you're you know you're dealing with medical appointments and transfusions and all of these different kinds of things you still have to parent so Mm. that's what we hope that the parents get when they come to our programs and you know the thing amy that i have found unbelievable is the number of times that parents are like, well, I, I went through the program when we first found out about the diagnosis, but I want to go through it again because I know I'm in a different place. Right. And I know there's much more that I could get out of the program that's different because of where I am today versus where I was back then. Mm. You mentioned... Um that you're slowly starting to expand into other um, disease organizations, disease states. You have such a long history in bleeding disorders. Um, But tell me a little bit about that expansion. How has the program changed? Has it changed at all? What's it been like? Um, So the program, the fundamentals of the program that everybody loves and like talks about, I am the parent, right? Like, yeah. And I know, I know that they're not going to see the video, but Amy, look, we look now. Stickers. I am the parent. (laughs) I am the parent. Right. Um, And we have posters that, you know, clinics can take and put up because we realize that this creates a different language Mm -hmm. um, 
for the treatment teams when they're mm-hmm. talking with the parents and mm-hmm. it, it creates a different dynamic. But so when it comes to the um, trying to serve more families with different situations, right? Um, we looked, we had to backtrack. We had to go back and go, okay, what are those foundational pillars in the program that are key teaching points that these parents need? How do we make sure that we do that well? And it even got more focused when we had to deal with the pandemic, which we can talk about here in a minute. But then it was like, okay, then how do we structure the facilitation part of it? So training our facilitators to ask questions that then allow the parents that are going through the program to talk about their own perspectives um, specific to where they are and the uh, diagnosis that they might be dealing with. So we still try to do programs that are based off of a particular condition or diagnosis so that the parents have some commonality of the things that they're dealing with. So and that's such a uh, and I just want to call that out, um, going rogue a little bit. There are parent facilitators doing the majority of this, which is just incredible. It's peer-to-peer. It's not just somebody, you know, a social worker or, you know, a clinical psychologist telling you what to do. It's peer-to-peer. I love that. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. So what we've done is we've, we actually try to pair the parent-peer with somebody with a clinical background mm. because there's still elements in the program that, somebody with clinical training can sit there and go, okay, that's something that I'm going to have to take offline with that parent. And that also helps reinforce the parent service model, right? right? Like when you are a clinical professional and when you see something, you know that you're going to have to address it. Now they won't address it specifically in the program, but it's, okay, you finish the session and then you pick up the phone and you go, hey, Deborah, I... I heard what you said there. I just want to double check. Are you good? Like, what do we want to talk about this a little bit more right now at this moment? So they're able to then serve those parents in such a unique way so that they get what they need from the clinical staff, right? And that's why the dynamic does evolve and change because the communication aspect. So we teach communication as part of the program. Like, how do you become a good listener? How do you become a good speaker? How do you... um, engage in conversations, not only with other adult peers, but also with your kids. Like, what does that look like? You know? And so we try to teach that. And then, you know, going back to the, the, all of these things are relevant, right? To any parent that has a child with a special need disability or medical condition. In fact, we have parents go, well, every parent needs these kinds of things. It's like, yeah, but this program is uniquely designed all of the conversations are facilitated around the fact that these parents have a child with a special need disability or medical condition. They, and their, their lives, they're different. They're not, you know, somebody who is just has kids. Yeah. The skill set might be something that'd be beneficial for them, but they're in a different, um, just a different life exposure, different life experience. And these are the kinds of tools that we're trying to bring to them so that they can then be the best parent they can be. Mm. On your website, uh, your tagline, and as a part of your mission, um, you have living beyond the diagnosis. What does it mean for you in particular to live beyond the diagnosis? You just gave me chills, by the way. Um, so uh, it is. It's it's trying to get parents to get beyond that moment. Mm. That moment where they found out that their child is not what they 
hoped for, what they expected. Um, mm. And I think it's, you know, I watch, I've been, um, I guess, lurking. Keith brought that up at the beginning of this. You know, I, <laughs> I, I lurk on Instagram, Keith, just FYI. Um, so we do I, too. Don't feel bad, Kristen. We are lurkers here yeah, at Bloodstream Media. Um, <laughs> so I have been just following a whole bunch of parents who, uh, and this is this dates me, vlog on a daily basis about what it's like to live with a child with Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or autism or, you know, you, you name it. Epilepsy is just blowing my mind right now. I've learned so much about that community just in the, the last few months. But I'm, I'm watching these families and they have to deal with that diagnosis every single day. They're figuring out how to live and how to move forward in lieu of the diagnosis. And I got to give them super props because it isn't easy. And then the fact that they're surviving a pandemic and, you know, the clinics weren't directly accessible to them because many of them shut down and only provided urgent care when needed. Schools were closing. You know, you get exposed to COVID. The whole family has to go into quarantine for 10 days all of these different kinds of things, you know, um, in the autism world, all the uh, therapies, the OT, the PT, the any of that, a lot of that became inaccessible to these families. Mm. And these kids just, you know, it's like all their development stopped, just oh. kind of thing. And to watch it like in real time, um, it was just heart like, you know, just stab my heart kind of stuff. So I sit here and I go, okay. If they can figure this out and work towards it every single day, then that should be what our mission should be, is helping these families get beyond the diagnosis and live their lives, mm. right? And be the best parent they can be and help their child be as independent as they possibly can become. Now you've given me chills. Oh my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> oh. So you mentioned the pandemic. Of course, we have to talk about it. You guys must have needed to pivot and shift. Um, uh, when I uh, attended the program, it was just this glorious, you know, weekend. You got to go away and you're just holed in together with a bunch of other parents. It was just this magical time. That has all needed to shift. Tell me about your virtual program. What's it been like? What what have you done? Well, it it wasn't easy. Um, mm. And I, I got to tell you, behind the scenes, for months, mom and I clashed because I'm, <laughs> I'm a tech savvy one. Um, and that's the God honest truth. She'll, she'll admit it. Wait, saying, Dana Merritt isn't tech savvy? Yeah, no. No, I no. know. It, it might become a shock. It might become a shock. Um, Love you, Dana. Just, very let's much. not talk about her calendar woes that she's dealing with right now, okay? Um, <laughs> but it was one of those things where because of her distrust of technology, her distrust of the gap yeah. between yes. being like you and I right now, right? Yes. We're, we're connected. We're having a conversation, but we're geographically separated. Right. And the whole concept of Zoom and right. video meetings at the beginning of the pandemic, the vast majority of people had never had this kind of exposure to right. use these kinds of tools in an effective way, right? FaceTime right. on our phones, like people wouldn't call and do FaceTime, but now that's like two years later, that's what we do. Like I'd rather see somebody's face and talk to them 
like that, then call and just be listening to them now. It's like this, it, the whole dynamic of how we inter- interact and engage with each other has changed because of the pandemic. But at the very beginning, we just didn't have those experiences. And so here I am um, looking at what I basically, I had just bas- made the decision of, okay, we've got to figure out how to make this program available to everybody. Right. And then to be watching as everything's locking down, talking to the HTCs and everybody's like, our clinics are closed. We're all working from home, you know, like all of these different kinds of things. And I, I said to my mom, I'm like, if we don't make this virtual, we're not going to be doing programs for at least a year, at least. Cause at that point in time, you know, there was vaccine development, but nothing was really for sure. And right. You know, it, there was just so many unknowns. So she was like, I, I don't know. I don't think this will work. I don't think it'll work. And in the end, she finally relented because I, I, of course, I, I got a little bit of her persistence in my DNA. <laughs> and so imagine herself trying to deal with herself kind of thing <laughs> over and over and over again. Um, but anyway, so she was like, fine. And then we had to get over the hurdle of her wanting to be in front of the camera. Because mm-hmm. even though mom is mom, she is definitely not the, hey, look at me kind of lady. Um, yeah. And here I am saying, okay, mom, sit down. We're going to record you teaching I am the parent. We're going to record you teaching um, what are feelings and emotions. We're going to record you teaching. And we've got this concept around um, rules of the road and how you establish rules of the road for your family and for your household. And probably need to show you the whole new program, Amy. Yes. It'll just be like, boom. So anyway, it was one of those things where she wasn't comfortable in front of the camera. and. And I know that there were many people who saw some of the early videos and it's just painful. It's just (laughs) like, oh, if she could just work it through, you know, because it's so important. And I knew that we needed to get this done. And so, you know, I'm behind the camera. Um, I mean, we had many stories. One, One time we were in her basement trying to record. And of course, we've got green screen. So we learned about all these video techniques and all this kind of stuff. So it looks like she's in this really nice office teaching, right? But the reality is she's down in her basement with a green screen behind her with all of her boxes and stuff all around her, um, which was great for buffering the sound, by the way. We did hey, look at you. That's I know, right? Nice. Um, but the like on this particular day, her air conditioning had gone out. Mm. And so we're in her basement, literally like sweating. sweating. <laughs> and so then, so then I'm like looking at these videos and it's like her hair, is like, like, just like mm. suction cut to her forehead, the whole entire thing. So we went through a lot and then we realized, well, she realized she goes, that it was just going to be easier um, for us to continue to work at it on a daily basis if she moved down here to Indianapolis. So that was a huge thing. She moved from Michigan down to Indy. Um, we actually built a studio down in my basement, um, have the whole entire setup, the whole entire thing. And Amy, once we did that, it was like, it was awesome. Everything changed. We were able to get the videos done. It wasn't like, okay, we have to build up to this 24 hour period where I was going up to Michigan right. or trying to do the technology where she would record on her own and upload to Dropbox and then things. And it was just a nightmare. So as soon as she moved down here, it was just like, okay, now we can really do this. And 
And we did. We were off to the races. And I'm really proud of what we've been able to to create. Um, Not only have we made it so that we survived the pandemic, right? But now we really have programs with integrity that are taught Mm. with consistency Mm. and that when facilitators train up, they work together as a team because they all have the same scripts. It's very clean. Um, And to that end, what's happened is we've now started talking to different states um, and different entities like Easter Seals or ARC or a lot of different service providers that are in the, um, in the disability space. And we've realized that because of the work that we've done over the last two years, just to survive the pandemic, right. um, we have now got a program that can be reimbursed through Medicaid. Oh my goodness. Yes. So, um, I mean, the conversations we're having with state people is fantastic because there is no program like this out there. There is 100%. no program. And they have families. Like I was just talking to um, somebody who owns her own practice. And she's like, I just talked to a mom yesterday that needs this program. And it's like, and so now we're also talking to different magazines who want to profile um, us and our program and all, and it's just, it's, so now we're at this, we got through the pandemic. My mom, um, when we started doing the virtual programs, you know, we would be there to observe and make sure that we didn't mess up anything. And, and I remember we were doing, we were piloting our first program. We were, it's a 10 session program for this particular one. And at the fifth session, there was some conversations happening between the parents and, and literally my mom was here in my office and she go and she just like grabbed my leg and she goes, Oh, it's working. Oh God. And I go, and I looked at her and I was like, of course it's working. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that's kind of like the exciting part of where we are. Um, that it, it has not been an easy two years. We've done a serious pivot to use your word. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet now we're coming out and we have uh, a program that is going to be fantastic, whether it's delivered virtually or delivered in person. Oh my goodness. For parents listening, how can they attend a program? What, what's the, how do they get involved? So right now um, we've got some funding from Bear Pharmaceuticals who has been uh, just an amazing supporter for over 20 years for this program um, to do programs for parents of teens and young adults. Um, we're working with different HTCs right now that are going to host some programs for their own parents. But if you are a parent and you are a parent of a teen and young adult and you want to participate in a program, contact us directly and we will figure out a way to get you into a program this year, okay? It is, we want to make sure that you have the support that you need to go through the things that you're going through as your child is transitioning to an adult because that is very unique to the time of what you're going through. Um, Beyond that, we are, like I said, we're, we're talking to different states and we're trying to figure out how we can go through the Medicaid system to provide um, our programs 
So again, if you're interested, reach out to us directly. Um, and I don't know if you'll include like contact information, yep. all of that. Um, reach out to us directly and we will try to figure out if it's a state that we already have connections with or organizations, or if we could do a virtual program, different kinds of, there's different ways that we can figure out how to get you into a program. But if we don't know that you're out there, then it's really hard to, to serve you. Absolutely. And I, I guess for clarification, um, there are programs for parents that have young children and programs for teens and young adults. Yes. Yes. So right now we have actually three different programs. Um, so like you said, we have the, a master's level program for parents of teens and young adults. And that's really speaking to the transition to adulthood mm-hmm. and the types of things that those parents are going through. And also navigating just teenage years and emotions and chemicals kind of stuff. Um, Hormones. I should should have said hormones. Um, No, it's all good. No, it's all good. I think we're going to stick with chemicals. It makes (laughs) sense. Feels accurate. We have a, a master's level program for parents of infants and young children. And this is really... Um, talking about the point of diagnosis, right? Like what happened there? What were the emotions and feelings and how are they working that through um, the shame, the shoulds, the, all of those Mm -hmm. kinds of aspects that happen in that time. And then helping them with just some basic blocking and tackling parenting tools that they need because they've got a young child, right? Yeah. And then we have a third program, which actually came out of the pandemic which we're calling it basics. So it's like an introduction to impact. It's five sessions long. It's some of our core tools. And what we try to do is we try to recruit parents that are in the similar um, diagnose with a similar diagnosis as well as age. And then that way, even though they're going through the basic tools and it's not unique to the different age related conversations, they still can provide perspectives that help the peer-to-peer element of the program. And really, what I say is we're trying to amplify those parent voices. Yeah. And um, is there any cost to the parent to attend these programs? So right now, we've been trying to figure out how to make it so that it is minimal cost Mm -hmm. um, to participate, whether it's through sponsorships or through Mm -hmm. waivers or those different kinds of things. We've had parents say, hey, I'm willing to pay out of pocket. we haven't done that yet. And okay. I think it, it's just um, our programs, you know, they're, they're about for the basics program, it's about $500 per parent because we bring okay. in facilitators, right? Right. That know the program that are trained up, the materials, the videos, the whole entire thing. The master level programs are even more expensive than that. And so we want to be sensitive to those costs, especially since those parents have so many other costs associated with caring for their child. Um, so if we're aware that there's a parent out there, then we're trying to figure out how to, you know, give them a scholarship or do different kinds of things rather than say, Hey, it's this cost. Why don't you pay out of pocket? Kristen, I just, I'm so grateful that you came on. It's lovely to meet you. Absolutely lovely to meet you. I, um, all the information folks will be in the program notes where you guys can, um, get involved, um, contact, uh, Kristen and her team. Um, but before we go, tell me a little bit about the future. What, what are you hoping for, um, in the future in the next like three, five years? Three to five years. So 
based off of the conversations we've had just in the last few weeks, I am confident. I mean, I say that like with some hesitation. I am, I guess I should say it like this. I am confident (laughs) (laughs) um, that our program is going to be part of care models across the United States within the next three to five years. It is just going to be one of the tools that clinical professionals are going to be able to say, you know what, I know you're in a little sticky wicket right now and that you're, you're struggling, but we've got a parenting program that we can put you through or give you access to, to help you through these kinds of things. And so, I mean, right now uh, we have conversations with two different states. I mean, extremely positive, just started, Amy, just started these conversations. Um, But my hope is, is that, you know, three to five years, we cover a lot of the United States and that we're really going to be available for the parents that need it. So great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for what you're doing for families and for parents and for those kiddos. We really, we, we are aware and we hope to have you back. We'll have you back. Sounds like a plan. I love it. Thank you for having me, Amy. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Kristen for joining us today on Bloodstream. Thanks as well to Josh. Still here. Oh, hey, Josh. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't Thank you for sure being here. I should still be here. You never said goodbye, so I'm just sitting here. Uh, but great show, guys. Really wonderful. I'm glad to have a moment to sit here with you. <laughs> <laughs> and we're happy for We just it too. wanted you here, buddy. We just wanted you here for this. I appreciate it. You are one of a kind. Thank you for sticking around. Uh, Miss Amy Board. What can listeners look forward to on the next episode of the Bloodstream Podcast? What's next? Next episode is loaded. It's loaded, PJL. It's loaded. Um, what about Josh? I He's still believe, here, too. Oh, all right. And, and it's, it's Joshua Sterling Bragg, one of my favorite people of all time. <laughs> next episode, everybody, Luke Pembroke is going to join us. I love Luke. Um, he and Patrick are going to do some, like, Blood Brother catch-up things. And you know I'm it. psyched about that. He might preview his first big trip since being dosed with gene therapy. So we're going to hear he cutting-edge information from one of our favorites. And we have um, a wonderful patient segment from um, a thalassemia patient that I can't wait to introduce you Mm. to um, Nina, who is just phenomenal. I fell in love with her. Y'all will fall in love with her. It's going to be great. And then, of course, we have the season one finale of the Let's Talk segment. Oh, my gosh. I got to get to writing. It's loaded, PJL. It's loaded. I got to go, guys. I got to start writing. (laughs) All right, we'll wrap this up. Thank you, Amy. Uh, But Josh, since you are still here, you actually have to do this next part because there's no free lunches in the podcast studio. We're putting you to work. Josh, you're on. Okay. He didn't know this was coming. Uh, He's not thrilled that it's happening. Well, um, all right. So off the cuff reading skills this morning. Oh, is this, (laughs) am I reading the right thing? This is amazing. Yes, you are. Uh, With that, that is all for this episode. Reminder to subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen. Share your episode with your family and friends and colleagues and join us again on March 25th. Have a bleeding disorder or health topic you'd like to hear us discuss more? Is there an expert or guest Mm. you're dying to hear from? Want to inquire about storytelling and casting opportunities for Bloodstream's podcast or Believe Limited's films? 
You can email Love us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or connect with Bloodstream mm-hmm. Media on social media. You'll find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can follow Amy Board or Patrick James Lynch on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. <laughs> Shout out to all the committed LinkedIn users out there. <laughs> yes, Joshua Bragg. Crushed it. Well in. done. He's Bloodstream contributor Joshua Sterling Bragg. I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch. I don't think I have a job anymore. I'm your other host, Amy Board. (laughs) And until next time, take self-care of yourself. I hope something good happens to you today. 